Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Great. How are you, James? Pretty good, actually. I apologize that we're getting to you a couple minutes early, but we had a guest. Uh, basically, they kind of flamed out, so I. I, uh, I wanted to get to you. <laughs> and, uh, no problem. Actually, and, I thought you were late. No. no. I had you down at 5 o'clock. Oh, okay. Well, I had you down for 30 after. I apologize. We, we, we got... We got we got both of our, uh, our our radars crossed there. I apologize, <laughs> my friend. And uh, no we've all. got Robert Spencer with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. And uh, you can get more information on our website, JiggyJaguar.com. We've got a uh, complete uh, information up there on Robert's books and everything that he's doing. We are going to bring in our other panelists here, IQ Al Rizzoli. We're also going to bring in uh, the great Dan Perkins. And we are going to see if we can get Dan Perkins in here because uh, our last our last segment where we tried to get Dan in it was kind of a cluster so <laughs> we are hoping that we can get Dan in here for this interview and uh, Robert Spencer joins us today here in our broadcast by the way uh, Austin Washington's interview is available on our website at JiggyJaguar.com and I believe we're being joined by the great IQ Al Rizzoli and um, IQ um uh, that last guest, I, I I I apologize, my friend. That was just kind of a hurricane. <laughs> but um, but we've got our we've got our guest with us today, Robert Spencer, director of Jihad Watch. He is the also the author of the history of Jihad from Muhammad to ISIS, and uh, he joins us today here on Skype. And um, Robert, first of all, talk to us a little bit about this book because this is absolutely absolutely amazing. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book. Absolutely, this is the first and only, huh? No, I go ahead, my that. friend. Go ahead. Uh, go is... ahead. I just want you to tell us about the book. Gotcha. I uh, understood. This is the first and only comprehensive narrative history of jihad in the English language. It is the first book <clears throat> to cover every aspect of jihad, not just the jihad against Europe, but the jihad against India, which is a terrifying story that is very little known in the United States, and the jihad elsewhere. This is the first full one-volume treatment of the entire phenomenon, and it shows that wherever there are Muslims and non-Muslims, there has been conflict started by the Muslims. This is not to say that every Muslim has done it, but a sufficient number has to create an ongoing war that has gone on now for 1,400 years and that most Americans have no idea is even being waged. Now, IQ, uh, IQ Al Rizzoli, I know you have some questions here for uh, for Robert about this book, so I'll, I'll I'll get the heck out of the way and let, let you chat, my friend. James, let me tell you something. I am with Robert practically every day. He doesn't talk to me, I don't talk to him, but I read his articles on Jihad Watch. We are reading the same script. There are very few human beings 
who can debate Islam in public and not lose. And Robert is one of them. Uh, Robert, I know about your book. I read many of your books. We are on the same wavelength. I contribute to your uh, Jihad Watch in, not articles, unfortunately, but in comments. I would love to be able to be sending you articles, if you permit me. Sure, send them all, send away. Send to director at jihadwatch.org and I'll take a look. Thank you very much. I don't want to ask any questions from you because I know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> now, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, just correct me if I'm wrong on two items. It is impossible to be both a good Christian, uh, Muslim and a loyal citizen among non-Muslims kuffar. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. If you're a knowledgeable and devout Muslim, then there's no way that you can pledge allegiance to an infidel nation-state. And uh, the, the law of Islam will be paramount for you and take precedence over every other allegiance. And so it would be impossible for you to pledge allegiance, for example, to the flag of the United States of America. The next question. Every single Sharia compliant Muslim is automatically the mortal and eternal enemy of every non-believing Muslim, sorry, non-Muslim, called Kuffar, 80% of current humanity. Am I right? Yeah, the Quran says, do not take the unbelievers as your friends and protectors in preference to believers. Whoever does this has nothing to do with Allah, unless you're doing it to guard yourselves against them. That's chapter 3, verse 28. Chapter 5, verse 51, explicitly rules out Jews and Christians as friends of the Muslims. The idea is that uh, is summed up in chapter 48, verse 29 of the Quran. Muhammad is the apostle of Allah. Those who follow him are merciful to one another and ruthless to the unbelievers. The reason I'm asking these questions, because I have said this on many occasions on American radio talk shows, including with James, and they find it very difficult to accept whether I'm telling you the truth or not. But please, you are corroborating me. But the last item, I have concluded, based, of course, on the Quran and Hadith, that Allah, the God of Islam, is not the same as the God of the Bible. In fact, Allah is not God. What do you think? Absolutely, yes. The word is used by Arabic-speaking Christians, but the fact is that if you look at the teachings of the Quran and the teachings of the Bible about the nature of God, then you do not have the same being. For example, in the New Testament, uh, God says, uh, it says that uh, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Whereas in the Quran, it's just the opposite. Allah says, I believe it's chapter 32, verse 23, He says that uh, he could have guided everyone to the truth, but instead he's going to fill hell with jinns, the spirit beings, and men. And so that is just the opposite impulse. He could have saved everyone, but he decided not to. That's uh, uh, certainly not the, the God of the Bible. I've always asserted that since the Quran makes it crystal clear that God has predestined humanity to either believe or not believe, then he cannot possibly be a merciful God. What do you think? Well, the Quran always insists that Allah is merciful, but there really isn't any mercy. If he's creating some people for hell and not guiding them to the truth knowingly, how is that merciful? 
Exactly. Again, you see, we are talking the same language. So, please continue about your book. Yeah. I was interested. I was interested mostly in about what happened between the Arabs and the Muslims in India. Could you tell us about it? Absolutely. This is the first book to detail the horrifying story of the jihad in India, and it uh, shows that it was especially bloody because the people of India, the Hindus of India, were not the people of the book. The people of the book is the Quran's term for the Jews and the Christians, who uh, uh, they have legitimate revelations according to the Quran, but have twisted them and changed them from their original meanings. And so they need to be subjugated under the rule of the Muslims, but they are, uh, because they have legitimate religions, they are allowed to practice those religions as long as they submit to the uh, the hegemony of the Muslims. But the Hindus are not people of the book, so they do not have that privilege. They have to either convert or die. And even though it became early on in the jihad against India, it became impossible to kill all the Hindus who would not convert to Islam. And so they were granted honorary people of the book status and allowed to submit to the rule of the Muslims. At the same time, the, uh, in, the Muslims in India were still extraordinarily uh, brutal to the non-Muslims, uh, especially in regard to their temples. And thousands of Hindu temples were destroyed because it was considered that this was something that the Muslims had to do to show that idolatry had been defeated by the Muslims. And so the jihad against India, it's an appalling story. It's a story that Americans need to know. It certainly uh, uh, gives a lot of, sheds a lot of light on what is going on in the, uh, between India and Pakistan, even to this day, and in general, in Asia. And so it's very important that it be known, and it is not known, for, for the most part. Another question. You mentioned that the Muslims say that the Jews and the Christians perverted their book. You know as well as I do, yeah. there's not a single Muslim on planet Earth who can prove it, for one simple reason. In the Quran, Muhammad tells his followers, or Allah tells the followers of Muhammad, that if you don't believe in what Muhammad is saying, go to the people of the book to prove it. So until yeah, that's chapter 10, verse 94. Yeah, so until Muhammad's time, there was no chance that it was perverted. So how was it perverted? That's right. But well, it's an impossibility, and it shows the uh, falsehood of Islam, because for the uh, Muslims to have been, if Muhammad was referred, as you note, in chapter 10, verse 94, to uh, the Jews and Christians to determine whether what he's being told is true, then obviously the Jews and Christians had the authentic revelations that they received from Allah at the time of Muhammad. But we have copies of the Old Testament and the New Testament from before the time of Muhammad, and they're the same as what we have now. And this, therefore, indicates that uh, there was no corruption of the scriptures. They were never changed. Oh, and I did want to correct one thing. I earlier said that the passage that says we could have guided everyone to the truth, but Allah instead says, I will fill hell with jinns and men. That's 32.13. So chapter 32, verse 13 of the Quran. This is why neither you nor I in the debate can be defeated, because we know the subject. And we never lie. We don't have to lie. This is the most remarkable thing. No, my it's all clear. Yeah, my research, literally, 
I've come to one simple conclusion. When somebody actually studies Muhammad's Quran and Muhammad's Sunnah, they self-destruct. They literally discredit Muhammad as a prophet and the alleged divine origin of his Quran. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. The, the uh, Quran says, remember, chapter 5, verse 101, that the, uh, the Muslims should not ask questions. And some people have lost their faith because they've asked questions. And so it's very important for Muslims not to ask questions, but simply to accept what they're told. And so uh, many Muslims, because they start to ask questions, this is indeed when they begin to question, when they begin to doubt and to realize that what they're being told has not been true. But this was the genius of Muhammad. The reason he inserted that verse is because when they were asked questions by Jews or Christians or more secular Arabs, he couldn't answer them. So he injected this verse whereby nobody could answer or ask questions. And this is why, in my simple conclusions, Muhammad is the least productive, least inventive, least creative in human history. Irrespective of how much they gloat over what happened a thousand years ago. In my studies, I found out that most of the people who contributed under Islam to the sciences were either secular or not followers of Muhammad, although they were under Islam. What do you think? Yes, the, uh, there's a whole lot of attention given to the uh, supposed inventions that are, Islam is responsible for. But many of the things that Islam is given credit for were actually the creation of Muslims who were considered heretics. The Islamic philosophy of Avicenna and Averroes uh, and others, they were uh, routinely condemned as heretics by their fellow Muslims for engaging in philosophy. So they may have had a tremendous influence upon the philosophical development of the Western world, but in the Islamic world they had virtually no effect. And it's the same thing with the inventions. Many of the inventions were done by people who were known as Muslims, but the invention itself had nothing to do with their being Muslim. And even worse, many of the inventions that are attributed to Islam, or many of the innovations, such as the creation of the first hospital and so on, these things are plain falsehoods. In many cases, it was Christian Arabs or Jews under the rule of the Muslims who were responsible for these things, but because the rulers were Muslim, they are the ones who get the credit. This is amazing. I mean, we are on the same wavelength every single time. For the simple reason, because we have studied the same subject, we read the same scripture, and we had no choice but to come to the same conclusion. Except that the Muslims cannot. Well, yes, go uh, on. Well, it's just, it, it's obvious that <clears throat> we come to the same conclusion because we look at, we evaluate the uh, data, and we are accurate in reporting what it says. And that the Muslims challenge us because they are not willing to acknowledge and they don't want people to know the, uh, the, the actual content of what's in Islamic teaching. Have you had any confrontation in a debate with any Muslim? Yes, I've debated quite a few, as a matter of fact. And you can find the debates, many of the debates, on YouTube uh, of my debating various imams and other Islamic spokesmen. But how did you end up with them? I don't understand. You should have defeated them. 
they I should have defeated them or they should have defeated me? No, you should have defeated them, obviously. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that's exactly what happens every time. Uh, and uh, the people can see the debates and evaluate for themselves. Right. We've got a, a great guest with us today. Robert Spencer joins us here in our broadcast. He has got a, a fantastic website, jihadwatch.org. And uh, Robert Spencer is the director of Jihad Watch. He's with us today here on our big broadcast. He has a fantastic book. It's available on Amazon. And uh, this is just an amazing, amazing book. The History of Jihad from Muhammad to ISIS. We've also got IQ Al-Rizzoli with us today. And um, Robert, IQ has been talking about some some of the things you talk about in your book. He is, as he mentioned, he's been on our radio broadcast for a, a many years. Um, he's been on a, a lot of different uh, television broadcasts as well. Um, why do you think that this continues to be a big issue uh, with Islam when, when there are folks like IQ and yourself out here speaking out? Um, how, how, how does that get buried, I guess? Well, there's a concerted effort to bury it. People uh, portray us as ignorant, as Islamophobes, without actually refuting anything that we say or showing anything that we say to be hateful or bigoted or any of the things that they charge. They just make the charge and then use that as an excuse to ignore us and to uh, not confront the truths of what we are producing. And so this is simply an effort to obfuscate and to confuse people and to uh, make them think that things are other than what they are, that they are, there's a concerted effort, in short, at deception. And the American people are being lied to. They're being lied to by people who are powerful and have a great deal of influence. And consequently, most of them have no idea of the truth of these things, so that if they were to come across one of us talking about them, they would probably think that we were the ones not telling the truth. Robert, would you tell our listeners about your attempt to start a TV station, if I remember? Yeah, uh, it's not actually a full-fledged TV station, just a studio. Uh, what I'm trying to do is I was given the possession of a uh, former TV studio. There's a little bit of equipment in it, but it's an unfinished space. And I'm hoping to raise a little money to make it into a studio and to... Uh, uh, make regular videos from there uh, with guests and on various issues, bring my books uh, into video form so that uh, people who don't read books, which is unfortunately an increasing number of people, can have access to the material. This is something that's going to be a long-term effort, but I have started a uh, an account on Patreon for that, and so those who are interested in that can go to Patreon and read about it. Would you be interviewing people? Yeah, I hope so. I hope that ultimately... Uh, I'll be doing that over Skype or some other method, and maybe even in studio. Good luck. I wish you the best. Thank you. We've got uh, Robert Spencer with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. He's the director of Jihad Watch and author of the brand new book, The History of Jihad from Muhammad to ISIS. Now, tell us a little bit about the writing process for this book, my friend. Well, this book uh, was, I, I tried to base it entirely, or as much as possible, on eyewitness accounts and on accounts of the uh, uh, court historians in many cases. A lot of the Muslim rulers, they had historians on their staffs, and the historians would write pretty much as things happened a history of 
their reins. And a lot of them, they, they, it's kind of hair-raising reading because they uh, were writing about how wonderful and glorious this ruler was and glorying in the brutality and the violence of his reign. So that in itself is revealing. I try uh, always to highlight those accounts so that people can see this is what exactly these uh, uh, these people think of these things. They don't think they're doing anything wrong. They think they're doing something that is a wonderful service to Allah. Isn't jihad actually the sixth pillar and the most important pillar of Islam? Oh, yes, certainly. Uh, there's no uh, excusing from jihad. Every Muslim has to wage jihad in some way. That doesn't mean that they'll be engaging in violence or terror attacks. There's also the jihad of the tongue, jihad of the pen, jihad of the pocketbook. But it's all designed to work toward the same goal, which is the imposition of Sharia over the world. How can you explain Western societies, the leaders in Western societies, Western Europe especially, allowing their countries to be invaded, literally, by Muslims? How can you explain it? It's a very strange phenomenon. And as a matter of fact, the last chapter of this book is entitled, The West Loses the Will to Live because it discusses that and uh, shows how the non-Muslim rulers of Western Europe, uh, as well as in North America, with the exception of Donald Trump, are the greatest aiders and abettors of the Jihad Initiative nowadays. And so the uh, Western Europeans appear to be socialist internationalists who want to erase all borders and distinctions between people. And so they are bringing in massive numbers of Muslim migrants into their countries without caring in the least, apparently, about the uh, fact of the teachings of Sharia and the supremacist idea that Islam must dominate and not be dominated. And so this is the reason why there are Sharia enclaves growing in Washington and why they're only going to increase uh, the, the, there's only going, it's, it's inevitable that there's going to be conflict between Muslims and non-Muslims in Europe unless the non-Muslims simply surrender outright. I see there are signs in Europe of people waking up, literally. Uh, Europeans I'm talking about. It's happening in Eastern European countries, it's happening in Austria, it's happening in Italy. And I'm hoping, honestly, I've been hoping for five years, in fact, there will be an uprising against the elitists, uh, the leftist elitists who are in control in Europe. Do you think it's going yeah. to happen? It's a great sign of hope. Uh, all the countries that you enumerated, as well as the continued success of Herd Wilders in the Netherlands and some others, uh, there's a chance that the Europeans could turn this around. I think it's going to be very difficult at this point, and it's not going to be without uh, some violence. This is not to say that I'm recommending any violence or approving of any. I'm saying that Muslims in Europe are going to be violent if their desires to impose Sharia in various places are thwarted. But there is a chance that free societies can indeed be preserved, at least in some parts of Europe. How do you think this can be done, even if we assume every single European country turns around and becomes, let's say, what they call them, rightist, which is really patriotic? How do you resolve, in your opinion, how can you resolve the fact that there are millions of Muslims already in Europe who will never integrate, who will never assimilate? Well, there's going to have to be the point made that there's one law for all people. 
one law for all people. No Sharia, no enclaves where Islamic law is enforced, but only one law. And those who do not obey the one law and have no desire, no uh, intention of ever obeying the one law, then at a certain point they're going to have to be deported. It's that simple. And the Muslims who are uh, willing to renounce in word and in deed, sincerely and honestly, the aspects of Sharia that are at variance with the laws of the land, and who, in other words, are going to have to give up these aspects of Islam that have led to jihad all these centuries, but give them up sincerely and in a way that can be verifiable, then they're welcome to stay. Uh, but if there are going to be people who are creating conflict around the continent and trying to Islamize it, then uh, at a certain point the Europeans are going to have to decide whether they're going to simply allow that and be Islamized or invite these people to go and make it clear that they're not welcome in Europe. I hope they will wake up to the second one, and I hope they do that soon. Because even in England, as I'm speaking to you now, they're allowing Sharia to take over. Yes, that's quite right. It's a very dire situation in uh, the UK, especially because the uh, British government appears to be determined to appease and accommodate Muslims wherever possible, and uh, has no apparent interest in asking them to obey the laws of the land. The trouble is the collusion also of the police and the media. By the way, this, yeah. the same, this is exactly the same thing as is happening in America. The media is corrupt, the media is fake, in Europe it's also, the media is corrupt and fake. They never tell the truth about Muslims. You can curse Jesus, you can curse the Jews, you can curse the Hindus and the Buddhists, but if you tell the truth about Islam, they arrest you. Yes, you're quite right. And this is a very dire situation, because the freedom of speech is the foundation of any free society. And if this continues, there will not be free societies in Europe. Uh, and yet the uh, tremendous amount of police resources in the UK is designed to track, is now devoted to tracking down so-called Islamophobia online. In other words, they're not dealing with real crime. They're making sure that nobody says anything they don't like about Muslims and Islam. And if this continues, then Britain will be dead as a free society, and Muslims will be established as a privileged class who are able to do whatever they wish without being criticized. But Islamophobia is an oxymoron. There's no such thing as Islamophobia. Because if you study Islamophobia, Islamophobia is a rational fear of Islam. But fearing Islam is totally rational. And in fact, not fearing Islam would be irrational. Hence, Islamophobia is oxymoron. Yes. Islamophobia was, is a term that was devised in order to intimidate people, in order to frighten people, and make them think that it's wrong to resist jihad terror. And so this is... Uh, uh, Islamophobia is really just a, a tool, a weapon, that the enablers of jihad terror and Sharia oppression use to silence their critics. But you have explained it to them that it is not a derogatory item. We have just explained that Islamophobia doesn't exist actually. There is no such thing as Islamophobia. Because fearing Islam is totally rational. So millions of people have been listening to you, millions of people have been listening to me. Why aren't they saying to the people who are accusing them that they are stupid and wrong? 
they might be. I think they are in many cases, but the people who are uh, purveying the Islamophobia myth have all the access, all the media presence. They're the ones who are on the talk shows. And so uh, people are propagandized. They are constantly uh, told that Islamophobia is this major concern and uh, that jihad terror is a lesser concern. And this propaganda has been very effective, such that uh, when I go to speak on college campuses, it's as if Jack the Ripper were speaking. And yet I'm sure that at any of these college campuses where I've been shouted down and threatened and, and uh, ridiculed and uh, defamed and everything else, that if a Guantanamo jihadi shouting death to America showed up, he would be welcomed and hailed, as a matter of fact, as a hero. But that's what's happening in all these students, among the students in Europe also. Most of them are leftists because we had 60 years, both in America and in Europe, of being indoctrinated by leftist intelligentsia. Leftist. Yes, that's right. No doubt about it. The left is uh, uh, aiding and abetting the advance of the jihad today. Apparently, the uh, conclusion is that the uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend, and they think that they, they hate Western civilization so much, they hate the United States, they hate the Judeo-Christian tradition so much that they see the uh, jihadis that have been set against all these things for all these years, and they say, oh, there's my ally. And so uh, they are allying with the jihad to bring down the West, but once if they are successful in this, they are going to be sorry to find that their allies turn on them, but by then, of course, it will be too late. Obviously. I wish you the best. Thank you. You too. We've got Robert Spencer with us today. As we wrap up here, uh, I want to start with IQ. How do we get a hold of you online and uh, pick up your material and everything else? Well, as you, as I said, I've got my trilogy of books, Lifting the Veil, the True Faces of Muhammad and Islam. And also, if you just Google my name, Al-Rasuli, A-L-R-A-S-S-O-O-L-I, you have everything free of charge. Fantastic. You want to know? And uh, Robert, how do we get a hold of you online and pick up your books and everything else? Uh, it's all you can find it all at jihadwatch.org, and that is updated many times daily with news and commentary about jihad activity that you will not find anywhere else. And the books are at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and in any self-respecting bookstore. Fantastic. Well, uh, I appreciate it. This has been a, uh, a great, great program. And uh, IQ, we'll talk to you next week. And Robert, I will talk to you soon. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you much. There they go. And there we go. And it is now replay time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.